Let me just say as we begin, our world that we live in today is certainly preoccupied with the issue of origins. In fact, we hear about it, we read about it all the time. Almost every edition of the newspaper, every edition of major magazines in our nation discuss origins and how things came to be and why things are the way that they are. But to know the truth about origins, we have to go all the way back to the Bible. We find that the story of origins is told to us in the book of Genesis, and it's found in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, and we find the origin of the physical universe as we know it. But then in Genesis chapter 3, we find the origin of evil. When God created everything, though, in six days he did so, and the Bible says that on the seventh day... He rested. You remember what God said about everything that he created. In Genesis chapter 1 and verse 31, God looked upon all that he created and he said, and this is very important, he said it was very good. Now we have to understand this very important premise, this very important concept. God is good. He is all good and he is only good. God is good. He is all good. And he is only good. When you read Genesis chapter 3 verses 1 through 7 that we did in your hearing just a moment ago, we find that something happened in Genesis chapter 3 where we find that bad stuff is about to happen. Let me get a little philosophical though about God not being the author of evil. Um, one man put it this way, and I'll just read this to you. He said, if God created evil then God would be both good and evil. And if God were both good and evil, then God could not triumph over the evil that he promises he will. If God was the source of evil, he would have to be evil himself, but God is not evil. He is good. He is all good. He is only good. Another man said one time that the biblical account of the origins uh, the original goodness of God, the original creation is protected by God's goodness. And therefore, the source of evil has to be outside of God. I might make one more point before we go to the next phase of our lesson as we wrap up our introduction here. If God used any form of evolution in creating the world, and by the way, evolution is impossible. It's impossible. It's not true. We all know that. If God would have used any kind of evolution at all in creating the world, that it would, it would mean that God was evil. And the reason for that is evolution is based upon death and decay. So that being the case, death and decay, that's what it's based upon. Those things, you remember, are the result or the consequences of sin. And if God would have used any of that, then it means that God is evil, but he is not. He is all good in every way. So the question is, where did evil come from? And you might say, well, wait a minute. Evil came from the devil. It has to come from the devil. We just read the account when the serpent was talking to Eve. And we read the account that bad stuff happened and man sinned and all that. It's got to be the devil's fault. Not so fast. Hang on to that thought. We'll get back to that a little bit later. I think nobody would argue that the world has evil in it. You know, um, I got to tell you, in the Philippines, 
Uh, when I'm in America, I don't watch the news very much. Um, maybe I should, but I, I don't. And in the Philippines, that's about all we watch because there's nothing to see. There's nothing to, there's no channels for the most part in a lot of the places. We watched a lot of CNN news. You know what we found? We found all the stuff that's going on in the world all the time. What a depressing channel. All the bad stuff that happens in the world. Who's at fault? Who's doing this? Who's doing that? Bad-mouthing our president. Back and forth. On and on. Every day. All day. So when we go into the hotel at night, for example, after a long day, we would turn on the TV. And all it is is this dark picture of the universe in which we live in. We get that. We do have problems in the world. We do understand that. In fact, the problem of evil in the world has really occupied even the best minds in history. I think if we were going to talk about a mind, we would have to talk about Albert Einstein. And perhaps he had the greatest brain or enjoyed the greatest brain of all time. I don't know. At least in modern times. But Albert Einstein, for an example here, he was a great scientist. He had a great mind. The toughest intellectual barrier to the Christian faith was not the concept of God as a creator or creation of the world itself. And the reason for that is he believed in cause and effect. Now what he's saying is, what his theory was, what his uh, justification for his position was, he said this, the universe was the effect. And if the universe was the effect, it had to have a cause. He looked at the universe and he said, the design of it is massive. And look at the design of the universe. And if the universe is the design, then it had to have a designer. And he believed that. It had to have a source. He concluded, though, it had to have a designer. It had to come from an orderly mind. But he rejected the idea also of things in space bumping around endlessly until all of a sudden, presto, you've got the universe. He rejected that. Rejected that concept. In fact, he said this. The universe reveals an intelligence of such superiority that it overshadows all human intelligence. So, Einstein was not stuck by the fact that God was a creator. Here was the problem that Einstein had, and I'll just tell you, this is the problem of a lot of people in the world today. Here it is. It's justifying or wrapping his mind around the concept of evil and suffering. In other words, he didn't doubt that there had to be a creator. There had to be a mind behind it. There had to be a designer. What he had doubts of is how could a good God allow evil and suffering in the world? Haven't you ever heard that? How many times does something bad happen to somebody and they verbally blame God? As if it was God's fault. This goes all the way back to some of the greatest minds of all time. Einstein couldn't figure it out. Wait a minute, it can't be. If God is a good God, he would not allow evil and suffering to happen in the world. How could he do that? And so what he did is, Albert Einstein turned completely away from the God of the Bible, the God that he had been raised up with in Judaism, to believe in. Now, what really tripped up Einstein was the very fact that he was a determinist. And a determinist simply was this. He saw them, he saw them doing simply, man, what they were programmed to do. In other words, they were programmed like wind-up toys 
by natural irresistible forces. That's what he said. Or he deduced what man was. Then he said this. If man was only doing or man only does what he is programmed to do by natural irresistible forces, then there's no such thing as right and wrong. There's no such thing as sin. There's no such thing as guilt. So who's responsible? Well, God has to be responsible. And Albert Einstein concluded that if God is responsible, he cannot be good because he would be responsible for evil. You know, sometimes you just think too much. Sometimes you just think too much. If you look at the word of God through the eye of faith, it's easy. It's difficult to explain it away. And you see, when Albert Einstein, with human wisdom, tried to figure out creation and God, he was lost to the truth and therefore rejected God all of his life. He determined that God is not a personal God at all. He rejected Judaism, also rejecting the God of Christianity. And he said this, that God only exists as an impersonal cosmic mind. Simply a rational force that gave the world a rational structure. But he could not be personal with a personal nature. But folks, Albert Einstein was wrong. When it comes to the origin of evil, you have other options too. These are common options. You can either take Albert Einstein's option, and that was that God is nothing but a cosmic power. He's unknowable. He's impersonal. He's some kind of rational power out there, but he has no personality, no relationship with uh, ability to connect with us, only a rational power that created the universe. See how far he went. All because he was trying to take human wisdom and figure out evil and suffering in the world. There's more. There's another theory. And I'm going to use this term very loosely. Have to use it very loosely. Because I don't think you can be an intellectual and be this guy. But I'm just going to categorize the next phase or the next kind of idea is by the intellectual atheist. The intellectual atheist. And the intellectual atheist says this. God doesn't exist at all. There's no force. There's no power. There's no rational mind. There's absolutely nothing. In reality, made itself. And since there's no God, there's no evil, and there's no good in reality. So a person can take Einstein's theory, or the intellectual atheist theory, or even here's another one. Believe it or not. Evil is an illusion. I can't understand this. I can't understand how someone would take this theory. But there are. There are people that actually believe that evil is just an illusion. There's no such thing as evil. You just think that it is. Interesting. How could a rational mind even consider that? And so basically here it is. There's no such thing as suffering and evil and death. They don't really exist. God is good. Therefore, everything is good. You just think it's not good. Now, you might say, wait a minute, who believes that? Christian science. That's a doctrine of Christian science. In fact, I got to say this too. This is also a confliction of, of, of terms. You can't be a Christian. Here it is. Christian science, for example, Christian science is neither Christian nor scientific. It's not Christian. It's not scientific. 
You know what it's kind of like? I think you've heard me say this one time before, but it's kind of like the cereal grape nuts. You know, there's no grapes and there's no nuts. There's not. And you know what? It tastes like bark. Grape nuts. It's not a reflection of its name. It does not manifest its name. That's kind of like Christian science. It's not Christian and it's not science. They believe that. Evil is just an illusion. In fact, Hindus also believe that the entire universe is an illusion. Amazing. And so you could take some kind of esoteric, mystical approach to the reality of evil and agree with those people, or you can look at the fourth possibility, and that is God is transcendent. What's that mean? God is transcendent, meaning he is beyond good and beyond evil. In other words, God cannot be defined by any human concept. That gets very close to Einstein's perspective. That God doesn't dabble in the stuff down here. He's way beyond that. He's unmoved. He's untouched by any of it. Here's another one, though. Believe it or not. And this is actually something that has gone through the evangelical world and is getting and gaining popularity. Here it is. God has limited power. You know what they call that? They call that process theology. Now, I got to say, I hate to even say it. I hate to even say the words. But the, here they are. The doctrine of process theology is the idea that God, I hate to even say it, He wants to be something. He wants to be all-knowing. He wants to be all-powerful. He wants to be all that. He wants to be all-good. He craves that. He wants to be that. He's working toward that, but He's not there yet. I'm going to tell you, that is a theory that has taken over like wildfire the evangelical world today. Kind of like me and you. Now, you and I are struggling. We're struggling. We're growing. We're trying to get to the kind of person we need to be. We're trying to get to be Christ-like. We're trying to be better in the future than we've been in days gone by. That's us. We're struggling. We are not infallible. We make a ton of mistakes, but not God. Not God. So when people try to wrap their mind around why is there evil in the world if God is a good God, then what this theory is is, well, he's in process, he's working on it, he's just not there yet. In other words, he's trying, and when bad things happen, hate to even say this, when bad things happen, it happens because God cannot stop it. It's called process theology. It exists today. You know, the struggling God concept was nothing new. In fact, you might have remember Rabbi Kushner, a Jew who wrote the book. I love the title. I've never read the book. But it's also the title of this book is a question that people ask. And you know what it's called? When bad things happen to good people. We all ask that. I can't tell you how many times people have asked me, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, this is a very famous book. His idea was that God hadn't arrived yet, becoming what he really needed to be, and that is a fully good God, a fully sovereign God, and have absolute control over everything. He just wasn't quite there yet. He's in process. So you either believe that God isn't God, just a cosmic mind, Albert Einstein, or you believe that God doesn't exist at all, intellectual atheist, 
Or you believe that suffering and sin don't really exist. It's just an illusion. That is Christian science. You can believe also that God transcends or is transcendent, meaning He is beyond good and evil and we have no contact with Him. Or we take the view that God is in process. And I'll tell you something. When you talk about creation and you talk about God not existing at all, I don't understand that concept because really what you're saying if God doesn't exist at all is nobody times nothing Equals everything. That's what it is. How can you be an intellectual and be an atheist at the same time? Well, there's one other view. And I'm going to throw this in the mix. And this was the reason that I wrote the sermon. And that is God made evil. But the man's point was this. God made the evil. He made the sin. He made the bad stuff. But it was for a good purpose. In fact... It was created that he might overtake it one day. Let me simply put it to you simply now this way. God is not responsible for evil. His creatures are. God is not responsible for evil in any way. And I'm going to say this too. When a bad thing happens in life, it is not God's fault. And I just might say this too. I've heard, we've all heard this. Somebody would say, where was God when my son died? I love the response. The same place he was when his son died. Same place. God doesn't bring evil to the world. His creation does. More on that in a minute. Let's talk about God for just a minute. I'm going to quote these very quickly. Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 13. God is of purer eyes than to approve evil or behold evil. He cannot look on wickedness. 1 Corinthians 14.33. God is not the author of confusion. 1 John 1 and verse 5. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. James 1.13. God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempts he any man. 1 John 2.16, all that's in the world, and when I say that, I'm talking about all evil categorically. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father. Two more. Psalm 5 and verse 4, you are not of God who has pleasure in wickedness, neither will evil dwell in you. And one final passage, I love this passage in Isaiah chapter 6. You remember those seraphims with their... I get their, their, Anna, uh, their, their, their proclaims about God. Remember what they said? Their anaphonal claims. What is God? He is holy, holy, holy. That's what God is. He's not evil at all. He doesn't make bad stuff happen. He never tempts anybody. He's not tempted either. And he's not responsible For any evil at all. That means this. If that's the case. That means that the source of evil and sin have to be outside of God. When God created angels and humans. He gave angels and humans three things. He gave them intelligence. He gave them reason. And he gave them choice. And I put that in that order for a reason. God created angels, they're created beings, 
Man are created beings. And God gave angels the same thing he gave man. What are they? Intelligence, reason, and choice in that sequence. And here's the reason. The three things, intelligence, reason, and choice. In other words, God gave man and angels the ability to understand. And then he gave angels and man the ability to process that knowledge and understanding. And guess what we get to do? We now have the freedom to determine our behavior. That's why angels were similar in creation with man. All they were given was intelligence, reason, and choice. Now, bottom line, what they knew with the ability to process the information brought to a choice. Whether angels or men, they would have the choice to obey God or not obey God. Now, here's the answer. Here's the answer. To disobey God was to initiate, initiate evil. And the reason for that is evil is not the presence of something. Evil is the absence of righteousness. Somebody might say, well, you know, there's a big dark force out there, bad force. No, there isn't. That's not the source of evil. And get it out of your mind. Get this out of your mind. But the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You know why? Because you've been given this. You've been given intelligence. You've been given reason. And you've been given the freedom of choice. So evil isn't something that was created and it just lives out there. Evil is the absence of righteousness. Now, we go back to the beginning. Those that were in, in heaven, the fallen angels... They were given intelligence, reason, and choice. What did they do? They chose disobedience. They were the source of evil. Did you see that? They chose evil. Evil is the lack of righteousness. Therefore, they chose that, and that's what they got. They were cast out of heaven. More on that in a minute. What about Adam and Eve? Adam and Eve were in the same way. Adam and Eve were created. They were given intelligence, reason, and choice. And they chose wrong. Remember this. Remember this. When God created man and God created the universe, there was no evil. None at all. God had nothing to do with it. When Adam and Eve were in the garden and they sinned, what did they do? They had intelligence, reason, and choice. They chose to disobey. Then, therefore, they became the source of evil. Their fault. Oh, that's not, by, by the way, it's not very popular. Don't ever say it's somebody's fault. We don't ever want somebody to think it's their fault. Yeah, you're a wonderful person, even though you do what you do. No, you're not. You are what you are. You don't like the reality, change the reality. But we are what we are based on what we do and the decisions that we make. And don't ever take choice off the table. Adam and Eve couldn't blame anybody. Oh, they tried. Remember Adam? Oh, the woman you gave me. The woman says, oh, the serpent. More on that in a minute. So here's a question then. Here's a question. The question is, if God did not create it, stay with me on this. Why did God allow it? Well, first of all, I have come to know 
these facts. There is a God and I'm not him. So I can't get into the mind of God and tell you why God allowed sin. All I can do is I can look to what sin actually brought about. I can look at the outcome of sin, and that's really all that we can do. But to ask ourselves, why did God do that? There's no answer, so let's not ask why. But let's talk about what sin did bring about. It brought about three things. Three things. Number one, it brought about the salvation of sinners. In other words, when a man would sin, then God would demonstrate His grace, His mercy, and His forgiveness in salvation. That's what sin brought about. Without sin, there would be no grace. There would be no mercy. There would be no forgiveness. What else? Evil. God allowed evil to display his wrath against it. You know, God shows his mercy to the saved, but his wrath and judgment to those that are lost. What else? Remember this. Remember this, evil is the absence of righteousness. What else? We know this too. God allows sin so he can destroy it forever. God didn't create it, but God will destroy it forever. It's the absence of righteousness. So, three things. God demonstrates his grace and salvation because of sin. God also demonstrates his power over it, his authority over it, his judgment and wrath over it. And what else? God allows sin also, and he will destroy it forever. Remember, it's the absence of perfection. Now, the one who chooses it is the source of it. Now, in case of Lucifer, Lucifer was a name of the devil. Now, Satan made a bad choice. And Satan seduced a third of the rest of the host of heaven. And the reason I bring this up is I want to make a point. Have you ever talked to somebody that really is negative about how bad things are and how it's way worse than it is good? And there's way more bad stuff than there is good stuff? You know, I heard a guy say not long ago, rather cynical, older fella, and he said, you know, there's, there's really, you can't make a difference Things are bad, and that's the way it is. I hope I never get that old. That's the truth. I'm going to tell you, there's more good in the world than there is bad. That's a fact. I know a lot of good people in this world. I know a lot of good people in the world that are not Christians. They're still good people. They're just not saved. But they're good people. So let's go back to the beginning. When Lucifer and a third of the host of heaven were cast out, did you know that when that happened... Two-thirds of the host of heaven were good. That means there was twice as many good angels as there were bad angels. You know what the Bible says about the angels? There are ten thousands times ten thousand and thousands and thousands. And if you multiply it all out, you probably wouldn't even get there yet. Twice as many. But they made a choice and they fell. The source of evil is outside of God. The source of evil is the one who chooses evil because evil is the absence of righteousness. Now, in chapter 3, all we're going to do is notice three words. Three words for the rest of our sermon. Three words. And that's now the serpent. Let's talk about the serpent for just a few minutes. What is the serpent and who is it? 
So you're in the garden and everything is good. You got all kinds of cre uh, creatures there and they're all made of God. And here you meet a serpent. And the word serpent is the word nakash, and that means reptile. Now, that's a Hebrew word. And there's another word also, and that's, we're going to get to that in a minute, but we don't know what this reptile looked like. But have you ever seen the depiction of Hollywood? Have you ever seen the cartoon? The cartoon of, there's supposed to be Eve standing there in an apple tree. I don't know why they always make it an apple tree. It's the tree, the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's what we know. But everybody wants to make it an apple tree. So here's this Eve standing there at the apple tree. And then the serpent's there. You know what he looks like? This gigantic snake that's wound around the tree. Everybody wants to make it like that. We have no idea what he looked like. We have no idea if he looked like a snake. We just know that by Hebrew word, he means serpent or some kind of reptile. We don't know for sure. Later on in chapter 3 and verse 14, we find that there's a, the part of the curse of the serpent was the fact that, that, that after he was cursed, he now, God said, was going to have to slither on its belly and eat dust forever. Right? So in other words, he wasn't a slithering whatever on the ground until he was cursed. So before that, we don't know what he looked like. Now, the word nakash for reptile is a word that's used to describe what a reptile does, and that is to hiss. There's another word in the Old Testament, and it's used for reptiles also, and that's the word tannin. And sometimes these are used interchangeably. In fact, there's a, sec a section in Exodus chapter 7, verses 9 to 15. You remember when Moses is interacting with the magicians in Pharaoh's court. Remember that? They throw down their sticks and they become a serpent. And that word is tannin. But Moses, he puts his stick down and his becomes nakash. Sometimes they're used interchangeably to describe different aspects of it. So what does tannin mean? Interesting. Tannin means dragon or sea monster. Now, I'm not standing here telling you that I can describe to you what this thing looked like. All I'm saying is, chances are, it wasn't a snake that we know today. There's nothing that shows to us that it was a snake when it tempted Eve in the garden. He became whatever that was, slithering in the dirt, after it was cursed, after the sin. So, we're talking about, by definition, some kind of a serpent, some kind of a reptile, some kind of a dragon, whatever that was, some kind of a serpent there. And when you come in the New Testament, very interestingly, Satan in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 20, Satan is called the serpent and the dragon both. In the Hebrew, he would have been called nakash and tannin. So sometimes it's dragon, sometimes it's serpent. But the serpent is compared to other animals too. And in verse number one, it says something about this serpent. It says, it was more crafty or cunning than any beast of the field. Now, this is an actual animal. We have to remember that. This is a real animal. But it wouldn't be an animal that we would know because it was a precursed reptile at the time whatever that animal was, eating dirt and all that. 
But all of a sudden we find it is different than all other animals. Do you know why? Because this guy can talk. Now, I read a commentator. And the commentator said, all the animals in the garden talked. No, they didn't. That's some kind of a Dr. Doolittle concept. No, they didn't. The commentator used, well, what about Balaam's donkey? He talked, yeah, once, one time, as God spoke through him on one occasion only. Now, interesting here, what's interesting to me is Eve doesn't appear to be overly shocked when the reptile walks up and starts a conversation. There's something different about this particular serpent because he said to the woman, he said, indeed, has God said you shall not eat from every tree of the garden? Now, what does the serpent know? The serpent knows about God. The serpent has a personality. And the serpent speaks with intelligence. He's devious. He's hostile. He's evil. Here's another theory, though, that, about what happened in the garden. And it's not true. I don't believe it to be true at all. And that was the things and the events that happened in the garden, they didn't really happen. There's a theory that all that is is just some kind of a parable. Incidentally, parables were always true. So the very fact that it was true would eliminate that argument anyway. But the argument is, is that it was just a parable and it had nothing to do with a real event. And one commentator said it's a parable with a moral. You know when you tell a story and then after you say, and the moral of the story is. Well, my question is this. If that is a parable with a moral, what's the moral? To be learned. A Jewish rabbi said this. He said the serpent wasn't really talking to Eve. But the writer Moses uses the serpent as a symbol of evil impulses rising in Eve's heart. So this is just a sort of symbolic way to refer to stuff that was going on in Eve's mind. Okay, then why curse the reptile? These things really happened. We need to take the Bible for what it says. You know what I think? I think that's exactly what happened. The serpent asked Eve a question and she answered it. Now, the creature was, wasn't just any other creature. Because back in, chapter, in, in our chapter, in verse 1, it says, The serpent was more cunning and crafty than any other beast of the field which the Lord God has made. Some people think that means he was sneaky. That is not what the word means. That's not what the word means. I heard somebody say, well, you know, snakes are sneaky. How do you know that? How do you know that a snake is any sneakier than any other predator? Cunning and crafty does not mean sneaky, as some commentators would say that it means. In fact, that word actually means subtle, cunning, intelligent, and wise. So in other words, this serpent was different than every other animal this one had superhuman ability to speak. It was subtle. It was cunning. It was crafty. It was intelligent. And it was wise. Superhuman intelligence could speak. Listen carefully. This personality inside the animal knew the effect of choice. Adam and Eve were only going to make the wrong choice. When they made the wrong choice, they didn't know exactly what would happen other than the fact that God said, in the day that you eat, you will surely die. When Lucifer uh, first made the choice, he became, 
He said, I want to be like God. And folks, you don't do that. You don't put yourself in a place of or a position of something that only God should have. Now, pride was the problem with Lucifer. And when Lucifer was in heaven and a third of the host of heaven were seduced to follow his ways, when they were cast down, it was because of their sinful pride. He wanted to elevate himself and be more like God. I want God's job. And he was cast out. God is holy. He was wretched. He says to Eve, see, the reason that God doesn't want you to eat of that tree is because God knows when you do it, you're going to be like God. Now, that's why when the devil tempts us today, the devil wants as many people to go where he's going as possible. Did you ever stop to consider, you know, the word Gehenna, the, which was a literal place in the days of uh, the Bible days, was actually a little, literal place where fires burned constantly and all that. City waste dump. Okay, Gehenna. When you talk about hell of the lake of fire, Gehenna, it was not created for man. It's a created place that was made for Satan and his angels. So Satan and his angels know there is no hope. They're going to hell. They're going to the place that was created for them. But when sin came into the world and death by sin, spiritually speaking, those that are not saved, those that are lost, will go to the place that was created for the devil and his angels. Why do you think the devil works so hard to get people to go to hell? He knows. And he says, you shall not surely die. You just are going to be like God and God doesn't want that. So who is the creature? Who was this creature we're talking about? Nothing is said, by the way, in Genesis 3 about Satan. Satan is never mentioned in Genesis chapter 3. So we go to the end of the Bible and we find in Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9, we find that it is Satan. In fact, we find also in two terms, sort of borrowing from the Hebrew in the Old Testament, he is called Nakash, he is called Tannin, which is serpent and reptile. Now, in verse 9 of Revelation chapter 12, it says, And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent, which is called Satan, the devil and Satan. What else? It's the dragon. It's the deceives the whole world. Devil and Satan. What about in the New Testament? In the New Testament, there's a commentary really on Genesis 3 in two places. First, 2 Corinthians 11 continues to help us to understand who the serpent is. 2 Corinthians 11 and 3, Paul said, But I fear, lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. So the serpent deceived Eve. It is also true in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression. I got to tell you. I got to tell you. In the same program of that preacher talking about why evil's in the world. You know what he said? He said, you see, it's easy to trick a woman. 
It's easy to deceive a woman. It's easier to deceive a woman than it is to deceive a man. That is ignorance gone to seed. That's not what the Bible says. He didn't say that the woman, you could pull the wool over her eyes better than you can a man. I doesn't mean that at all. It just states a fact of what happened. She was deceived. Period. Period. She was deceived. Now, something else that we have to remember. We understand that Satan is deceptive, he's deceiving, he is lying, and Satan tempts us with all the things in life that are appealed to the flesh. He tempts us in those ways to try to get us to fall. But as powerful and as wicked as he is, as evil as he is, listen to this, he is, the sub, he is still subject to the sovereign control of God. Nothing will happen unless God allows it, period. Remember Job? Job was still in the care of God. And God controlled what the devil was able to do to him. So what am I saying? What I'm saying is when you sin, it's still your choice. devil can't make you do anything. The devil cannot make you do anything. We're drawn away by the Bible says when sin comes, we're drawn away by our own lust and enticed. And we have to make a choice. When lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it's finished, brings forth death. The, can't, the devil can't make you do anything. So, notice this. And we're, we're finished. In conclusion, what about the source of evil? Remember these things. Evil isn't a dark cloud or force making the world bad. It's not. Evil exists when there's a lack of righteousness. Evil is a falling short of God's moral standard. And God has absolutely nothing to do with our falling short. Nothing at all. What else? God gives us the following. Intelligence, reason, and choice. We have the ability to understand what the word of God says and to know what is right. We have the reasoning power to process that information. And every one of us has a choice to make. Don't you see? The one who chooses evil is the source of it. You know what that means? That means when I choose evil because I don't do what's right, I'm the source. It's my fault. There's nobody to blame. Nobody to blame at all. And you know what? You know how I know we can't say what's the devil's fault? The devil made me do it? Because Eve tried. And it did no good. They were still cast out. You know why? Freedom of choice. I know that there are some things in the world that are negative. I know that there's some, sometimes there's some bad things that happen. But understand this. All we know is, all we know is evil is outside of God. We have God as our refuge. And understand this too. God is not throwing things in our way as obstacles and then punish us for falling. He's not doing that either. He's the refuge. Satan comes with a temptation, but all of us have a choice. Source of evil? The one who chooses it. I'm finished. We never know the hearts and minds of those that are present.